and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Okay, everyone, today we're talking about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night with Olivia Lilly. Welcome, Olivia. Hey, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> uh, uh, Olivia, why don't you tell us, number one, we always ask this up front, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, well, recently my favorite scary movie is Promising Young Women, or Young Woman. Uh, I just, I can't get that movie out of my mind. Um, I really like, uh, I can't remember, I think it's called The Descent, where a bunch of people go in a cave and slowly get like murdered and really like gross ways um and also i recently saw suspiria with um what's her name is in that it's like the remake not the dario argento movie but the remake was just really sexy and scary and uh good powerful ending there yeah, yeah. um i mean i'm uh, definitely drawn more to horror movies that are about like uh the uh internal like struggles and fear of the characters uh like outside of themselves coming after them you know because they can't like deal or something um then more just like i'm not a huge like just slash slasher person except i did really like the movie censor at sundance this year which was about a woman whose job is that she was like a in the 80s she's like a um a censor of, of movies with a lot of gore but it it played a really it played really well with um the fact that she had a missing sister that she felt really really guilty about losing and kind of tying all those elements up in a really like um a really psychological like thriller horror mess in which it culminates in a really like shocking uh, moment, which I will not ruin because it's probably gonna get purchased and sold and definitely see it. <laughs> so mad, that's the one horror movie I missed out of the whole festival. <laughs> that's the one I needed. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are awesome. Do you have like a, um, a horror origin story? Like what got you started with the, fran- or the, with the genre and all that? actually honestly the pandemic made me really want to write horror because I think it was like oh our world is just sort of like always horror now but before that I don't think I really ever gravitated to the the genre (laughs) at all I think I kind of stayed steered clear but occasionally I would see movies like The Descent (laughs) and just go really full throttle you know but now I'm like wow I could really write horror (laughs) It's all around us, <laughs> around every <laughs> corner. All right, um, Olivia, do you want to plug any projects or social media that we can follow you at? Oh yeah, I mean, follow me on Instagram at the Olivia Lily, um, and follow my theater company, Prop Theater. Um, we are in in this April um, uh, doing the second reading uh, of the second public reading of this uh, new play called Underdrown, which is an Afro surrealist. Um, uh, four-hander that's set in a Chicago that's slowly sinking into Lake Michigan. Um, It's very scary and very like gut-wrenching. It's written by Derek McFadder. I'm the creative producer on that and we're doing a series of of public readings to get feedback on the project as we go into just further development. It'll eventually premiere, uh, do a world premiere with Prop Theater, but we'd love for folks to be involved in the process. So 
look at our social media for where uh, and when. I mean, it's all virtually. So so when uh, when that's happening. Um, and it's also the reading series is co-produced with Perceptions Theater Company, which is an awesome um, newer theater company run by me, me Maisha Tierra McGarner um, and crew. And uh, you should just follow them in general and check out just everything they do. Awesome. That sounds really cool. I'll have to check that out. Okay, let's get in with some just general thoughts on A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. This movie is so fucking cool to look at. Like, I, I am in love. My little film geek heart is just happy and full. I, I want to go back in time, even though this came out after those film classes, I think. <laughs> and just like construct this and be like, put away your Tarantino. This is better. I really appreciated that this movie uh, is filled with people who look like me because I'm half Persian. Um, and I also appreciated that the writer director is like, she was born in England. She was obviously obsessed with American culture um, and has a bit of a, a Persian like marooned experience, which I can totally relate to. I was born in the United States in Tarantulas and grew up mostly in the suburbs of Chicago. And so all of the very kind of generic American things are much more familiar to me than other uh, things from like my, that home culture. Um, and so this movie played really well with those aesthetics blurring and mixing. Um, I really liked uh, the relationship between the, our sort of, our sort of like not protagonist, not protagonist, protagonist male ingenue character and the like rich woman he's like kind of flirting with a bunch who like never like but she's so like awful like <laughs> that like nothing really comes of that but it is a very interesting because she's obviously like an upper upper class like Persian woman and he uh is trying to uh like um cover up his like kind of shitty origins with with purchasing a really fancy car that then gets taken from him and this whole sort of like greaser look that he's rocking. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was really interesting to see those. I love those two characters bashing up against each other. Yeah, yeah this, this movie really felt like an interesting like update to the classic monster movie. Cause you've got the, one, the girl that's going around and killing people, mostly men who deserve it. There's a couple times, which I'll get to later, that I question her motives. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, they deserve it. But, but you know, so you get this kind of, you, you root for her, you root for the monster, just like many of us did when we watched those classic, like Frankenstein or uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and stuff like that. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting update to that kind of formula. Also, especially with the ending where the monster and the ingenue run away together <laughs> it's it's like it's it's really is that like western narrative this movie has like got that cool like if westerns could be cool because like i grew up with them on the tv at the time i was right against them but it has like those same sort of like shots and those like moments and that like character arc for her because she's definitely the cowboy of the story or the cow person let's say cow person because i hate the phrase cowboy always have Oh, um, she is our cop person. And so she's got like her moral code and she's keeping bad city clean. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to run off with you after I finish what I came to do, which I did. And it's messy, but we have a cat. Let's go. Oh, yes, the cat. The 
the cat's the MVP. I love everybody, but the cat is adorable and just like big and fluffy. <laughs> in, in my opinion, tell me if I read this, like, I, I'm, I'm curious what you thought, but at the moment where she, he, she is with the cat, he knows that she killed his heroine, like doing father. Yes. Oh, so good. I love that visual storytelling of like, oh, oh, I know who murdered my dad. <laughs> And then the next, the next minute, he's just like running away with her. Can you imagine being like, let's run away together? And then the cat walks out, and you're like, oh, <laughs> and I've already said we're gonna do this. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I, I laughed so hard when he, so after the, he's left with her and they're leaving, he decides to pull over and he stops the car. The cat was like, what the fuck? What are we doing? Why did you stop the car? <laughs> It's like acting. The cat looks at me the both of them so many times. Like, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? <laughs> that cat should win a fucking supporting best. <laughs> like, I want a cat golden globe. What? <laughs> cat golden globe. Yes. Uh, I just also love that this is our first vampire movie of this podcast because it's so our mission statement. And I, I, this would not have been the same if we talked about like Dracula or some other like boring shit. Like, I have to say, though, it's like you make a good point that she's more like Frankenstein than the classic like vampire predator. Like we don't know. We like have a lot more sympathy for her than our general like interview with a vampire like, you know, yeah, Brad, Brad Pitt or something. <laughs> I think it's in part because she doesn't try to like ask for forgiveness. She doesn't try to like we're not being manipulated, which is a thing we've seen with all of the movies directed by like women this month. They're not manipulating us, they're giving us their story. Mm. Whereas men with these things are like, if we do this to you, you should feel this. That's polite. And then we don't. <laughs> and so I, it's why we get Frankenstein's monster as opposed to like Dracula or some other like random. That's true. They're unapologetic. And they are all, Frankenstein's written by a woman, Mary Shelley. Like, yeah, there's something about like they, yeah they accept that the world has cast them in this role and they all they can do is sort of like handle it nobly right that's true self-assured that's especially true with this movie and i would say promising young woman they're both like this is what this is what my story is and there it is i would love witch because she was never like should i stop killing these men She's oh, I like, love the love witch. I love the love witch. Even Mosniak. It's a whole dream. <laughs> oh yes, I you you all you met the you met the 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 husband, the dead husband. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to a girl walks home alone at night, and let's start with our just our points that we want to discuss about specific plot points or shots or character or whatever we want to discuss. I'd love to hear what y'all think about. Uh, sort of her her uh, her desert, which is that big park, that big weird park where people park their cars and the hooker services people. And she runs around in her hijab and is like looking very, very innocent, but very, very alluring to everyone. And various things happen. Like I thought that was like such an interesting sumptuous world of just that like one park as this like centerpiece of everything. Like what are y'all's thoughts on on park, on park park time? I love that she's a whole territory because again, it goes into that whole Western vibe because like they're not out protecting the world. They have like their small town or they have their saloon and their buildings, 
And she's like, this is my park. Sometimes I skate here because I'm a badass. Um, <laughs> if it goes down here, I'm going to bust that shit up. And <laughs> I just, I love everything about her. I, I am obsessed with this movie. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I really liked it too, especially visually. Um, it was interesting to see, like, you know, we brought up the allusions to like old school Westerns, but it's interesting to see that idea of a Western put in a very urban visual so yeah no I really like that and then the scene where we're out of the park and she sees um the ingenue and he's high as high as fuck from that drug the lady gave him and but they're in like the suburbs and he doesn't understand where he is and I thought that was really the visuals in this film are fantastic there's so many layers to like every location where they are like the way that they depict this this town, I can't remember what it's called, but it's- Mad City. Mad City. Mad City, like, I just feel like the locations say so much about uh, each of the characters' inner landscapes and like how the, like first we, we kind of introduce all of these different locations with our aunt, male ingenue. Mm -hmm. um, and so we kind of see how like he kind of is always trying to like find a way to assert himself and be in control of something. And we just see it like always come out, like flip out from under him, you know? Even his car gets taken and put in that, that, that mm -hmm. parking lot, that, that park. Whereas like anytime like we see her, like, and then anytime we see her, she just seems like she has chosen to be there. She has come there, she has. And I think one of the most interesting parts is like they go at, they go, so she meets him at a party and they like leave and then there's like this, I remember there being this moment where they were like both lost or someone was lost and someone was not lost. And they were like, those two worlds kind of connected because he's really, really like marooned so much of the time and lost and she's so like found. But then when they come together, like he doesn't, he doesn't, he seems like he has a little bit more control than he normally does. You know, they seem they can both have a lot more choices suddenly in their life than when they were separate you know so they are like that 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 I love that dynamic I think it's a very like like uh, a modern romantic dynamic that's enviable yes like I I love that you clap he's the ingenue because like everything you just said is usually how like the woman ingenue is in a Disney movie or whatever the movie is where she's like <laughs> I'm helpless. I need someone to counter me so I can like have a purpose and a focus. Um, and that's really him. And he's coming, he's drawn to her because of her strength and because of her ability to be so assured with shit. And he's like, what's this about? <laughs> and so like, he needs her in a way that like, we, I, I have grown up watching women need men in movies. And it's very much that. Like, even like his home life, he's taking care of his father, which usually falls on like the daughter. How often do we see the daughter taking care of the father? All of the Disney movies. Um, <laughs> um, and this is his this is his goal. This is his gamut. Like his dad is like bringing him down and getting his car stolen and shit. And so like I I love that you said that because I was trying to figure out why this dynamic works for me because now I'm like ugh romance stop it. But I was like, I'm about this. I'm into this. I like this. I, I totally agree with you. But I also think he's not fully helpless and she's like strong and like powerful. I feel like he also like allows her to kind of have to grapple with some of her like fears of intimacy 
and fears of like being vulnerable because she is a vampire who's gonna like have the urge to bite you no matter like who you are um and so the fact that they like help each other grow in like very little ways and shake each other up a bit you know and how they like end up leaving i mean i don't want to like ruin the and i uh you hopefully like watch the movie and then listen to us talk but right. they leave i love where it, where it ends because we don't get to really see them be humans together yet like fully like out of the fairy tale like we just they're them and the cat on the road headed somewhere else you know I would watch that movie i'd watch that series i would buy that comic yes I know I have a real relationship part. <laughs> it's gonna get messy really fast. It's sort of like, I don't know if y'all have watched Bridgerton at all. I have, she, you she have. have. So I've... in Bridgerton, not to like, I'm sorry, I don't wanna get off topic too hard. They like really set up the first part of that romantic relationship as being really like dope and exciting. And then other shit happens once they're together and you're like, can I go back? <laughs> take me back <laughs> I didn't want to know this about them like I just, um I would be a little worried that that would happen with these two yeah because <laughs> yeah. I mean even though he knows that she killed his dad he doesn't know how she killed his dad like she he doesn't know she's a vampire I mean, I think he's gonna end up finding out she's a vampire if they're gonna like live together and like be a couple. I think he knows something's up because she clearly called his dad and she had him like pierce her ears at the dock. And so I think he, that's part of the reason why he didn't go, that's my cat, did you kill my dad? Cause like something's up. I don't know if I can take her. Let us, <laughs> let us go with the plan a little bit longer while I think about it. And then he's like, I, I'm just gonna find out what all this is for the next stop. The next, the next town. I was gonna say, like, I this movie gave me another celebrity crush, Armel Anjanou Arash. I think that's how you spell his name. I'm probably mispronouncing oh. it. Uh, he was giving me James Dean vibes, and I was a hundred percent okay with it. Yes. <laughs> I went to IMDb, and I was like, "What movie am I watching next? Let's see." <laughs> I fucking love Persian James Dean vibes. Yes. It's very because, like, so uh, I don't know if you all know, but like Los Angeles is also called Tarantulas. Because after the like revolution in the in the late like late seventies, a ton of Iranians came to the United States, and they all came to Los Angeles, and a ton of them are rich, <laughs> and uh, they they like kind of melded American culture and like Persian culture, and uh, that is such a vibe. And I I'm not from that, but I've hung out with those people, and it's always like, damn, I wish that I was from this because I. <laughs> Because, like, I don't know, life would probably be easier. But, <laughs> but I'm like, damn. Like, those are fancy shoes. You fancy. You just, like, a class it up in here. <laughs> and even though, like, he was supposed to be, like, a poor character, like, he did perform well, really well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Except when he was around the wealthy girl, then it was like, oh yeah but that's, that's how she treated him so <laughs> yeah yeah because when he first because he's working for her family like doing um it looks like like fixing things or gardening and some a handyman essentially and he's fixing something in her bedroom and he's like it's going to take a while you might want to go somewhere else because it's not respectful for you to be in here alone with me 
and she is like all up like rubbing him down and all this stuff and then when he meets her again at the party after she gives him a drug which who knows what that was <laughs> she just like lets him like leaves him like so rude oh yeah he's really lost and then yes. I, I remember this yeah i just want to go on record as saying that the girl as she's called in the credits is the punk icon that i always wanted as a kid like her taste in music which i also thought it was all like american like rock and so like you never get anywhere else when she's by herself dancing without the male gaze and just like living her best life and ready to go out and kill some bad men in bad city. And I'm like, yes, this is a mood. And she like skateboards and she's like, oh, those are cute earrings. No, I don't care if my ears on pierce, pierce them. Here's a safety pin, let's do this. Right. I just, she's everything I wanted to be, uh, <laughs> but never could with me. <laughs> well, and it was really interesting because you know we were talking about how the director, um, slash writer she did both um exactly. mix the the cultures of like western culture american culture and like iranian culture and especially with the girl as she like trey said as she's titled she doesn't get a name <laughs> uh like all of her posters on her wall are very american like she's got a madonna poster she's got i think there was some other like american bands and then her music that she gets is very american oh like after she kills um the uh, pimp <laughs> and oh, she's like going through his music and she's like Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> and then she steals some of it that was great yeah I was definitely taking notes on her empress vibes I was like I like I was like oh you kind of like have similar clothes to me why does <laughs> she feel so much more confident than me <laughs> do I need to be a vampire shit <laughs> Oh, when you listen to other people's music, like when, or when music is playing, when any other character's around, it's not really American. It's much more Iranian or like nondescript. Like even when they ride off, he puts in something that sounds like what we would classify as American rock music, but it's Iranian. And I was like, that's a nice little like come together of both of their music um, because she's very much a rock and roll vampire and I'm here for her. <laughs> I, I was so happy when I found out that there actually is a comic for her. It's a six part situation that's a prequel. I'm gonna order that the second we're done with this because I want more of her. I need more of her. I hear you, yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's super interesting thinking about Iranian culture in that, uh, so in uh, the politics of the uh, like 60s and 70s, um, essentially cinema became a really huge uh, political arena, but it was like so kind of hyper controlled by the state, but underground like making, well, cause like, uh, like you had to, in, in Iran, you have to get like approved by the government before you can make a film and they don't want you to like make a film that's like is critical of politics, you know? And also like, it, it's, so it's interesting. Uh, well, what I was, was trying to say is like, Iranian culture has been so like, taken over by different regimes so it's been so bastardized and fucked up and fucked up so so to be iranian is a little bit to be displaced because you've just been taken like everything's been taken from you at some point at whether you were uh like the child of people from iran and like was born here and then marooned or you like grew up in iran and there was there was like total all this warfare and you were like everything that you knew was like erased or like, or bombed or whatever. And so that was really, really relatable to have like a sort of nondescript city where all these Iranians live. And 
like you know it's super interesting because I do like I try and just read a lot uh about Iranian culture because I didn't grow up with my dad who's Iran Iranian uh, so I've had to piece it together first from like all of the kind of uh like racist shit that people said around me about Middle Eastern people. First, I had all of those impressions. And now as I've gotten older, I realized like, wow, uh, like Iran is such a like uh, intellectual and cultured society and like just a very like act active society or, or was or is, or like it's a complicated, right? You know, um, and like, cause it's, it's like so many thinking about like, some of the things I know about like very shitty gender politics and like Muslim and like not uh and like um uh like hating gay people and all of this stuff in a place where this is it's supposedly like very cultured and intellectual and like not progressive but progressive <laughs> it's really interesting because it's a huge like there's so many so many contradictions mm -hmm. in a, a different forms of Iranian society and like uh you know at, uh, before cinema, their big art form was poetry, you know, and also kind of, I'd say, a tradition of having uh, past poetry in secret or passing things in secret, really, to get away with them. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that the um, writer director kind of took those things that most Iranian, like the government especially, would see as like the underbelly of Iran, like prostitution. There, uh, Sharan, we were talking about beforehand. There was a there's a queer character in the in the in the film. She doesn't get any lines, but she's there in the background. Um, Rockabilly is it her name, the sex worker. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then um, so all these things, and then that's kind of what's being celebrated in this film. Like the uh, the girl is protecting um, the young son, the son that's the fa uh, the father is messed up on drugs, and she kills the pimp after you know, like it it. It's, it's an interesting way to subvert those expectations. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, because it's, it's also like the, 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 oh, there's a lot of depictions of like the TV and what they're telling, what, what's being said on the TV. And I think it's because they don't really have, like the media was so, the media is and so, like was controlled so heavily by the government. We don't have that same sense of reality portrayed through media other than the, the, the great Iranian cinema, uh, but like so many films were not made because the censors rejected them, you know? Or some, so many films never made it out of Iran, you know? So there's like, it's really, it's really interesting. It's like an entire country that's like, like forced to be DIY because the government is so evil. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, for sure. You know, so there's no real like popular depiction of Iranian culture at all. Like you like the way that we have American culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had one question about one of the visuals that it, it didn't make, I don't know, maybe I missed something. But what was the deal? So at one point he's crossing a bridge and there's this ditch and it's full of dead bodies. What are they, these casualties of like, drug wars or it's it's very small and I'm probably overthinking it but <laughs> did it anyone might else? Be like it might be representative of just like the uh everydayness of war in Iran yeah you know because a, a friend of mine uh is uh she was born and raised in in Tehran 
and she all of her plays um deal with Iranian identity identity in some way and she has one called Paradisa where um like it's all about these people who are completely alone trapped in the like kind of wandering the desert and been have they've been pulled from their various lives and they have to find each other among all of the devastation mm. you know so I wouldn't be surprised if that was trying yeah. to kind of just give you a sense of the world of uh what of what this writer director probably remembers mm-hmm. well yeah and like it did yeah it did kind of feel like this is just this because they're not it's not any other scene or any other shot but it's like this is where we take our bodies and so yeah that that makes sense to me this aesthetic is everything like it's everything from like the moment like the credits start rolling and, and we're like oh it's gonna be a black and white world and we're taking our time we're not rushing things um and the way she uses time like in that moment where she brings him back when he's high and he's in slow motion and then she turns in slow motion and that's a mood because we don't get that over here in America we get get her naked we gotta see some boobs and I was like this is so much more beautiful and now I'm invested in this relationship and I do care <laughs> give me this romance the slow turn while she shares her music and is like inviting him to her world because she's decided to not kill him tonight I, it was sexy. Yeah, that was awesome. I remember taking many screenshots and posting them on my Instagram story of that moment. Cause I was like, mood. Yeah, totally. It's like romance. (laughs) That's another thing that I didn't like about Bridgerton is like, as soon as they were like, this romance is on. And then there was an entire episode of them fucking. I was like, okay. (laughs) Very, very true. Actually, that's a good contrast is like very American, like Gossip Girl references versus like, you know, how do you represent intimacy on on film and leave us wanting more? Right, <laughs> right. I, I was so into it. Like this movie, she gets this style in a way that Tarantino thinks he does. And it just made me happy. Cause I'm like, this is the style. I think that he thought he was getting all these decades. Oh, just like, a question how do why do you think she shot it in black and white I literally do not know I feel like it's a, the whole movie sort of a throwback even though like the girls music is very early aughts I feel like she was playing with time in a way I also wonder if it's because like our leads are in this like they're in they're operating in a gray area like nothing here in this town of bad city is really black or white like she's saving sex workers, which some people have issues with, even though the rest of us understand sex workers work. Um, and we have all these other like characters who are like on the fringes of things. And so maybe she was trying to capture that like gray area by putting it in black and white. So we can't be like, well, so-and-so is wearing red. You know what that means. Or so-and-so is wearing green. And this right. Is- yeah, I did feel like it was a comment on, but I think, I think Sheree hits the nail on the head or yeah. Uh, with a, a, a callback to like classic films, but then also playing with that idea of uh, the di- the dichotomy of black and white and how how distinctly different those are and how everyone in this film, even our ingenue, kind of operates in that gray area because like when the pimp is killed, the ingenue steals all his money and steals his, and takes his car back and steals all the drugs from him. So like even he has done questionable things and I think it also plays into the idea which is one of my notes uh but some of the things 
that even the girl does is kind of questionable. Like I brought this up before we started recording, but like when she kills the homeless man, who according to the audience, we haven't seen him do anything negative or bad. She just does it. Whereas all of her other kills are redeemable in a sense because they are men who are doing bad things. Um, and there's also the scene with the little boy where she like scares the shit out of him and then steals a skateboard. <laughs> I, I kind of live for that scene because if we scared a couple of younger boys when they were the young boys, where would the world be now? <laughs> so, I don't know. That's a good point in that like it does have some similar vibes to Promising Young Woman um, in that like this is a world filled with bad people and this this person has taken it upon themselves to write to vigilante justice essentially but both of those movies also make our main character flawed Mm -hmm. you know because in Promising Young Woman it's really cool that honestly she probably could just stop obsessing about her friends her best friends like like horrible death and like you know and the whole crime and everything and like have live a normal life like she kind of does have that choice and she continues to choose that this path you know that's like that's what where it's kind of like oh well maybe this that character on some levels in promising moments is like is psycho which is really gross and sad, but like very real for that character to be dealing with. Um, whereas this character like knows that she has to kill to survive no matter what. And so I think like having her have to kill the homeless man is like, there wasn't a bad person around, <laughs> you know, but, and so like, it kind of shows us that we can't like fully forgive her. Cause she's not just like a perfect ideal vampire just writing, like she's not a superhero. <laughs> she like is hungry she gets hungry and i'm i'm a huge proponent of like female characters having like really gross flaws that we have to actively grapple with as we're watching and i'm okay with that in this context and also because you thought maybe she would kill her fucking ingenue boyfriend like i felt like she thought she was going to i was like don't kill him please don't kill james dean he's so sad i was like internal conflict She decided to scare him. But to like, yes, and rewind everything you just said, Olivia. I I just remember that, like, I keep referring, this is a Western, and I was thinking that Promising Young Woman was like a samurai movie, because when I was a kid, some of those were on two. And so, again, these are perfect bookends for this month, because isn't the Western and the samurai journey kind of telling us the same arc, just like done in completely different styles and ways? True. Um, I think for me- epiphany. For me, I wish that I wish that the girl had been given a little more dialogue because she has very few lines. She doesn't speak that much. Um, just because I there were there were so many things that I wanted to hear from her, and I just never got that. Um, and I think that that's the one that's one of the few things I I have negative about this film is that I wish she had been given a little more something to I don't know. That's just me though. I feel like because her actions give us so much of who she is, I was fine with that. Because oftentimes when it's like a male written movie, they tell you she doesn't have lines because she's so powerful. She can just do it with her eyes. And a pack win in that last bullshit Netflix did that was four hours. You have an Academy Award winning actress who doesn't speak and you're like, she's not a prop. She's just so powerful. She doesn't need words. 
And it's like, no, you're a chauvinist. That's what happened here, Scorsese. Whereas here, <laughs> um, the girl is doing yes. this. We don't get her logic. She moves in mysterious ways. But I feel like watching her get rid of bodies tells me more about her than anything she would tell me herself. <laughs> and I, listening. I think, yeah, I think the difference is like, watching a character silently and getting a window into their psychology versus watching a character silently because they're like hiding who they really are you know and both promising a woman and this movie do a really good job of like showing you lots of silent moments that tell you so much about what they're thinking while also those characters have very well crafted veneers but we don't just see the veneer we see everything beyond that because yeah I, I totally agree with you about like how she like cleans up her victims or the way she bought bit that guy's finger off like Ooh. so so like that was beautiful and I totally knew that was gonna when he started messing with her mouth with that finger I was like you need to back up you need to stop <laughs> and then it still happened and I was still like oh my god <laughs> even though I faces. <laughs> I, I I was just I was obsessed with her and I I also appreciate her because like so often when you're in these writing classes they tell you that you need all this dialogue you need more dialogue and they start to be in the dialogue and really? I feel like had there been more dialogue I would have lost her <laughs> and well, I'm just getting I'm my I'm getting my MFA in screenwriting so it's always less dialogue <laughs> <laughs> it's always like wait to be I, fair to be fair, where I went to get my playwriting degree was not a real school. So I think that could have just been a he thing as opposed to a study thing. Like my degree is in crayon. And so I just have lots of questions. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, in plays, I mean, in plays, in playwriting, people are like, yeah, cool. You can have things in dialogue. But in screenwriting, it's like the dialogue should only be the tactics that they're using and not any act like there you can see x you should be able to see the visual like storytelling gives you the exposition i would say for the most part so if you have a scene where someone's like talking about something else that's happening you generally want to probably show the thing that's happening or show them dealing with the thing that happened rather than just like getting that information you know and i'd say like the art of screenwriting is so much like making sure the audience tracks the thought process of the characters. And I read a really dope book recently that kind of put it this way, which I think is beautiful, which is every, every like screenplay is made up of before an event, the event, like preparation for the event, event, and then after the aftermath of the event. And as a writer, I love to forget having the characters deal with the aftermath. So that's something I'm working on. But it's good to like, if you isolate it that way, very helpful because you're like okay like what happens before then what happens in this event and then rather than them jumping to the next event how do they deal with what just happened yeah and I think we kind of get that like I think maybe part of my problem with not really understanding the girl is that with with Arash we get his story we know his father we know that they're poor we know the pimp is harassing them we know um, that the pimp got the uh, dad on drugs in the first place. We know that the dad is into prostitute or into sex workers. Um, and we, we know all that, but we don't know anything about, we don't even know her name. It's the girl. That's a really good point, yeah. And so I think maybe that's where I'm coming from in that. Maybe not less, more dialogue for her, but just more something visually or something to give me a little bit of 
who she is. Because we get that with Promising Young Woman. I know exactly who that character is, 100%. And I didn't feel that way with this one. I think that, again, goes back to the style of the movie because it really does feel like a Western. And it's often in Western, you're dealt the gunslinger. He doesn't speak. <laughs> or you're dealt the cowboy. He mm -hmm. does things with horses and cows. And so I think it goes again to that style. So maybe you don't like Westerns, which is fine because I also don't like them usually. So I'm weird. I'm weirded out that I am still here for this one because normally I'm just like, I could give shits less about John Wayne. Oh, and so like, the fact that I'm like, I get it and then I like it and then I like this aesthetic, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, yeah. I think one other thing that should be acknowledged is I don't know if she is necessarily the main character in this. I think it might actually be a rush which kind of makes me sad because it's a woman writer and director and I would love to see it like completely from the female perspective, but maybe that's not what this movie is. And uh, I think Sheree is totally right in that there is a, like that big trope of the like, uh, like evil or sort of good, like you're not sure cowboy with a dark past who's done some shit that he probably regrets. Like <laughs> that's definitely her. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I hear you, Trent. I, I long for that movie too. And that's why, prom but promising, let's look at when these movies came out. Like you, you this movie came out in like 2014, I think. Yeah. Whereas Promising a Woman is like the Me Too romantic comedy, <laughs> in my opinion. I love that. I right? That. It is the Me right? Too. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, this fucking gross, like, because I, I don't know, like when I watched Promising Young Woman, I was like, oh my God, these look like every man on Bumble. Like every one of these people looks like every motherfucker on Bumble. Like, yeah, I don't want to meet them. <laughs> yeah, they're all rapists and they're gonna like laugh about it. You know, I mean, I should have trigger warned that, but you know. <laughs> we'll put it in the description. I like the humor. The humor of this film was like really great. I was like, I was like, yes, you are all beautiful and like you are like exciting like humans and this in these interactions are really like like monumental in your life, but there's also like kind of a little like like wink and a nod and like we are all in black and white. We're in like a, a mist, like a strange, like like mysterious town. And like it it was like very serious and then very like fun and light at the same time. Yeah, I I so wish I could have done Sundance the year this happened because like I did Sundance this year. And I saw a lot of stuff, but I wish I could have gone the year this came out <laughs> or even last year with like Promising Young Woman and His House and Scare Me and all these other like horror bops. And yeah, so I wanna, I wanna go back to Sundance again. While we're talking about the humor, I did really think it was funny that uh, <laughs> when he first meets the girl, he's dressed up as Dracula while talking to an actual vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get down to some hot takes. So this should just kind of sum up how you feel about the whole film. It could be controversial if you want it to be. Um, it doesn't have to be though, mine usually aren't. Um, so <laughs> uh, yeah, so Olivia, you, you wanna go first? I would say it is a sexy, multicultural, um like allegory um starring a good vampire who's kind of more like a frankenstein than, a, than your typical vampire 
who essentially falls in love with a male ingenue and they ride off into the sunset. With a cat. With a cat. Uh, my hot take is that this movie isn't talked about enough because we see all these like lists for feminist horror movies, lists for vampire movies, lists for horror movies the year it came out. And this is never on there. And when it is, it's not high enough. I, I know nothing about this movie because nobody talks about this movie and that's a crime against movies in general and the genre. Fair enough. Um, so mine is... Um, there were a ton of beautiful shots, like so many that I would just print and frame and have on my wall forever. Um, it was a gorgeous film, but I felt like at some points the plot and the pacing kind of took a hit to get to those beautiful, long, beautiful shots. And for me, it kind of hurt the film just a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's just my opinion. Um, but like I said, still a gorgeous film. I just felt like sometimes it lingered too long in certain spots, but I mean, that's just me being really nitpicky. So, okay, well, that is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, I also want to say, did Panic at the Disco write this title of this movie? Because every time I say it, I get tongue twisted. <laughs> I swear, I wish that they had a song for it. I would oh love God. that. Why isn't there a pop punk anthem for this movie? <laughs> that would be a song. <laughs> Why is there no Jennifer's Body-esque type song for this movie? Well, thank you to Olivia for joining us um, to talk about... Juno. Right <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, thank you, um, Olivia. We'll hopefully have you back on sometime. Um, next week, though, we are covering Freaky with Gabriel Livingston. And that's cool. going to kick off our that's going to kick off our month of movies that were taken with us from the dumpster fire that was 2020 or at least <laughs> movies we hope we're taking with us we might be surprised you never know <laughs> you never know all right thank you everyone for listening and make sure you stay fierce out there bye